The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alert, alert. There is a mucho problemo in Miami. I don't know how they're going to fix it, folks. We get into what's wrong there, as well as some news from around the league. And we have a special guest interview with Spotrack's guru, Keith Smith, who actually just worked on a new trade generator that is fucking awesome. Go give it a look, especially trade deadlines coming right around the corner. It's going to be cold as fuck tonight. So let's warm me up on that. Bing, baby, Anthony. Drop that motherfucker beat. It should be real. So, sometime in early December, I'm getting bombarded by Heat fans. Of course, they're fucking just rabid. Ravenous. They just smell blood in the water, and they are gloating, and they are angry about this aborted Dame Lillard trade. I had the audacity to say, I think Portland doesn't need to listen to the Miami Heat's bullshit offer. They could go other places. And to that, fans said, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's Miami or nothing. It's Miami or nothing. And guess what? As I sit here on Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, um, Damian Lillard is playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Not the Portland Trailblazers, not the Miami Heat. It appears that Miami or nothing was a bunch of bullshit. You would have thought I burned down Miami. You would have thought I burned down like little Cuba because the hate I got was outrageous, which led me to think and to say, hey, there's a possibility Miami doesn't even make the play-in. They might be lucky to make the playoffs. I don't care how good Miami is in the playoffs if they're not in the playoffs, which we all say things that are mean when we're attacked, but I wasn't lying. The Heat fan base obviously wasn't ready to hear it, and they were even more upset. They started quote-tweeting me and coming after me on Reddit, and the hate rolled past the beginning of the season, well into December. I was constantly getting chirps about, oh, what about Jaime Hawkins? Oh, you could have gotten Jaime Hawkins. You could have gotten Jovich. You could have gotten this. You could have gotten that. Look at Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero put up 35 tonight in a loss. And and you could have had that for Dame. Look at this. Rob Williams is not playing. Malcolm Brogdon's not playing. The picks that you have are garbage. But I have a question now as we sit here on Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Heat fans, I don't hear you. Where are you? Where are you? You're not in my kitchen anymore. Things are getting real quiet in Miami. The Miami Heat 
have a mucho problemo. Mucho problemo. I'm not sure if it's fixatible. I don't even know if that's a word in Spanish. All I know is that things are bad. Since December 30th, one month ago, the Heat are 5-11. and 11. They've now lost seven in a row, by the way. Not good. By an average of 17 points. Not good. Their worst losing streak in 16 years. Not good. Not good. They are 24 and 23. If you can hear the glee in my voice, it's because I have it. It, I do have glee in my point, too. I have glee. They're tied for eighth place in the East, just two games ahead of the Bulls, who have a losing record, by the way, and are in ninth place. On January 17th, the Heat were a game ahead of the New York Knicks. They are now six games back of New York in the month. not even over yet, baby. By the way, also, the team's healthy, if you were wondering. Jimmy Butler's back. Everybody's playing. Bam's back. They traded. Uh, for a new guard and Terry Rozier, but yet they are still losing games. How bad are things in Miami? They have exactly two wins against teams with winning records in December and January. And if you are wondering how bad that is, it's, let me give you some context. My Portland Trailblazers, a team that Miami fans love to clown on for being one of the worst teams in the NBA. They have four wins against winning record teams. That's double the amount of the Miami Heat team has that's really really bad considering supposedly this is a contender also eight of the next 10 games for the heat are against teams with winning records so it's it's not gonna get better it's gonna get worse before it gets better so what is happening what in the wide world of sports is going on in miami the answer is complex it's not like one thing that you can really pinpoint, right? It's a lot of small things, you know, death by a million paper cuts kind of thing. Part of this is that your Messiah, Tyler Hero, <laughs> who had a great start to the season, got hurt. Miami started winning games. He returned. Has not been the same since. And Miami is now losing games. In his last 14 games, Tyler Hero has averaged 19-5-4. and four. 40% from the field, not from three, 39% from three. His assist-to-turnover ratio has fallen to two to one. Yikes. He is averaging a minus 5.6 net rating. And, of course, the team is five and nine during that stretch. Before the injury, Tyler Hero was averaging 24, five and five with a plus net rating before the cold streak. And I said this before, and it bears repeating again. He can't play defense. The man's defense is atrocious. His defensive rating, I like to, I like to gauge bad defensive ratings by Trey Young. Like, that's my standard. <laughs> like, a really bad one is Trey. I won't say it's Dame Lillard because that would just be too mean. But, like, a really bad defensive rating is Trey Young. His defensive rating is approaching Trey Young at 115.9. Jimmy Butler, we've talked about this before on the show, hasn't been himself either. He missed 11 games. The Heat went 8-3 and three during that stretch. Not, I, mean, I think that's probably a bad sign. Since his return from injury, the, the Heat are 1-7, which I'm, I'm sure the Nick Wrights of the world are going to you know, take that and run with it. I'm sure the Dan Lebitards of the world will say it's nothing. <laughs> like, like, it's, uh, Miami Heat fans will say it's just rust. 
are the are the Heat better without Jimmy Butler? Um, but the reality is, this is not Jimmy's fault. This is the team that's constructed this way. In the previous ten games before his injury, he averaged twenty three five and five. Since his return, twenty two five and four. So this is not a huge drop off. He and Bam apparently are not exactly vibing. Two All NBA defensive players kind of playing mediocre defense too. Not very good. Um. So that's happening. Put that into your front burner. And then the losing streak also falls on the fact that this rookie that everybody was trolling me for not taking, Jaime Jaquez, who, by the way, was a four-year starter at UCLA. He's not exactly, like, unproven. He's not exactly a project. We kind of know what he's going to be. Anyway, he's been out. He missed six games before coming back for the last two. His stats are basically the same. He's averaging 14 a game. He's occupying the same space, though, as Butler, which is not ideal in terms of like roster rotations in other words hard to find an easy explanation other than it's just a slump this is what the Miami Heat do they just don't win regular season games and they turn up the volume like the Kansas City Chiefs in the postseason Terry Rozier was supposed to be the panacea the key to helping this team get over the hump except here's a stat you won't love Oh, if you're a Heat fan. Again, hear the glee. The Heat have a minus 24 net rating when he and Tyler Hero are on the floor together. It's almost like having two undersized guards share the court at the same time, ones that are not exactly plus defenders. Might be bad. Might be bad for the team. Terry's defensive rating right now. <laughs> I have to put it in terms of Trey Young. Worse, 122.7. No, actually, a little better. A little better, actually. 122.8 is Trey Young. So he's 0.1 away from Trey Young. Everybody hated Kyle Lowry. He was averaging four points per game, but the Heat's defense worked because he was a good team defender. He could harass opposing guards in isolation. He was not taking any touches away from Jimmy, Bam, and Tyler. Why? Because he stunk at offense. So he all he did was just defend. Everyone, everyone thought it was going to be such a jump when Terry Rozier got there. Ooh, if he could just take some of Kyle Lowry's defense before he left, that would be nice. We're going to know a lot more after the next 10-game stretch for Terry. How does he assimilate? We were banging on James Harden and things not working in L.A. Maybe this thing starts to gel. The trade deadline's coming, and it's almost dead certain that they're not doing anything else. So this could be a very, very interesting ride for Heathrow. Stay tuned. Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, let's get into some news from around the league. Folks, it's happening. It's happening. I'm kind of in denial about it. Actually, I don't want to talk about it. There was even a real scarring graphic that went up the other day. Uh, it was Milwaukee and Portland playing like they were promoting it. And it was Giannis in a Bucks uniform next to Dame in a Blazers uniform. And I said to myself, what in PTSD am I seeing right now on ESPN screen? Yeah, trolling. Or I don't know if they even have a Portland Trailblazer graphic that they can put up with a cutout to put next to Giannis. But I didn't ever think it was going to happen. It's happening. Wednesday night. Tonight. I was mad when the trade went down for a good long while. Dame was posting photos of himself in Portland gear weeks after the trade. I don't think he wore anything green for like three months. He was wearing red and black, red and black, red and black. His kids were wearing red and black, red and black. Dame was asked about it, the return to Portland, and he's pensive. He said, I think it will always be like any emotional thing just because I love living and playing in Portland. I've never had plans to not play for the Blazers. So I think of that being a genuine feeling, I don't think it will ever leave. But I think sometimes you got to make hard decisions for what you want, ultimately. I'm going to cry again, aren't I? I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to cry when he comes back. The video that Portland's going to put out, I'm going to watch probably a few times, and I'm going to need a Kleenex box next to me for it. He didn't want to go. But the venue change needed to happen for Dame. It needed to happen for the Blazers. If they ever wanted to get better, if you think about the Paul George, Shea Gilgis, Alexander trade, that helped both teams get better there. I mean, you talk about the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trade where, you know, the Lions in the NFL, they got a bunch of picks to take on Jared Goff, and then they go to the NFC Championship game this year, and the Rams already won a Super Bowl. I mean, those are the... The quintessential win-win trades, Sabonis and Halliburton. So sometimes you must make these trades in order for both teams to get better. Of course, Doc Rivers is there now. So we know for sure Dame is going to be in the exact same spot as the Portland Trailblazers. But excuse me, there's now larger expectations. There's now another star that has expectations of winning a ring who already has one in his legacy. So... I tell you what, we're going to have to wait about five years for Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simon, Scoot Henderson to be in their prime. And then maybe just maybe Dame will be singing another tune. Maybe he'll be back in the Rip City. He said he can see there being a time where I play for the Trailblazers again. Sir, but it won't be right now. Sir, don't tempt me with a good time, okay? That would be a fitting end to the Dame saga. I will have to delete all of my anti-Dame takes if he comes back. He will always be a blazer, even if he's running the pick and roll in Milwaukee right now. Moving on, there's lots of chatter about Joel Embiid in the awards market, considering the fact that he was apparently ducking, ducking Jokic in Denver. Uh, scratched late against the Nuggets. He has six more games to lose 
or miss before he is ineligible for postseason awards like All-NBA and MVP. This is now a huge talking point, so I decided to go back over the last decade and look at the major NBA awards to see who would have been ineligible given the new rules. Notable award winners that would currently not meet current games played standard, which is 65 games. There's uh, major awards. 2021-2022, John Morant, most improved player. 2021-2020-2020-2021, LaMelo Ball, Rookie of the Year. 2017-2018, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. 2014-2015, Kawhi, Defensive Player of the Year. Only four major award winners that would have been eligible. eligible. That's actually fascinating to me. But I think more impactful than MVP or awards are the All-NBA nods that would have been impacted. In the last decade, 20 All-NBA players would have been ineligible, Two first team, 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 two first teamers, ten second teamers, and eight third teamers. Twenty-one, twenty-two is Steph Curry would have been ineligible. Jaw, KD, and LeBron, which is fucking wild. Twenty, twenty-one, Kawhi first team, Embiid second team, LeBron second team, Jimmy Butler third team, Paul George third team, and Kyrie third team. Kyrie would be would never make All NBA if it was the sixty-five game requirement except for the years that he played with LeBron James where LeBron James was cracking that whip on him and saying you better fucking play tonight on a Tuesday 2018-2019 Embiid second team Kawhi second team and Braun third team 2017-18 Embiid would have I mean Embiid's like never making all NBA either like Embiid never wins an award if if this if this standard has come out, Embiid would never win a postseason award. Curry third team, Butler third team, 16-17, Durant second team. Also gonna lose a lot of awards. The legacies are affected by this. 2014-2015, DeMarcus Cousins. We're gonna need some asterisks. Like would have bet you in, but you were ineligible. Cause you're gonna look back 20 years from now and not know why Embiid didn't make all NBA, you're just like, I guess he just stunk that year. No, the demarcation point was the 23-24 season where we started making players only miss 17 games. Embiid would have washed three of his All-NBA awards due to the new rule. Kawhi would have lost two. LeBron and Steph, KD, Kyrie, ja, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Chris Paul, and DeMarcus Cousins would have all lost one. Think about this. Salary, how much you're getting paid, baby, is directly... It directly impacted by all NBA votes. For this year's MVP race, Embiid is the presumptive favorite, but he's plus 325 right now, which is three to one, meaning a dollar would get you $3.25 back. Why? Because the awards market doesn't think he's going to play enough games. Jokic has missed exactly one game. So it's probably all wrapped up for Jokic then. Just a winner by default. This would have been an amazing back and forth if that sneaky, pesky little rule didn't come into place. But I tell you what, next year, I promise you, this offseason, there's going to be some kicking and some screaming if that award gets stolen from Embiid, which in his mind would be the second time now in three years. The best availability? Availability. That's what they say. Embiid has missed 12 games this season in the sense that his team is 3-9. and nine. The Nuggets won the only game Jokic missed this year. So, who's the MVP? I think it's probably Embiid. But let's be honest, when you take everything into consideration, who's impacting 
winning the most? Jokic, because he shows up to work every day with his hard hat. Also, moving on, finally, speaking of a guy who's been not available, like for a long time, Ben Simmons finally returned. They brought that back out with much, without much fanfare. Damn, was he good, though. 10, 8, and 11 on 5 for 5 shooting with a steal, a block, and no turnovers, all in 18 minutes. He was a plus 27 in the game where the Nets blew out the Jazz 147-114. Whew, impactful on both ends of the floor. Am I praising Ben Simmons right now? I guess I am. In a way that every coach dreams of, Jacques, Jacques Vaughn is probably stoked. I've said it a billion times. Do not try to fit Ben Simmons into the point guard hole. He is a square peg in a round hole, and this is just not going to be an effective perspective for you to put on his shoulders. How long will it take before Ben gets hurt again, though? I know it's cynical, but, like, his back is fucked up. Fair point. Fair question. How many games does Ben Simmons play this year? He has a half of the season left, essentially. I think he plays less than 30 games. I hope he's finally put the back issues behind him and can get back to being one of the most unique players in the NBA because I think it's more fun when he's available and I can talk shit about him. All right, we end this episode with the heat check, with the special interview with Spotrek's resident guru, Keith Smith. Keith Smith joined my other show, BetMGM Tonight, which actually airs Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. I was joined by my co-host, Ryan Horvath and Nick Ashew. It's a great interview. Keith always gives us the really real. So let's get right into it. We have Keith Smith now. He's ready to go finally. Spotrack, the front office show, jumps on with us now. Oh, we're watching the Knicks and Jazz play right now, Keith. And, you know, this Knicks team, it's just so different watching a team that for so long we've made fun of. Bad culture, can't seem to make the right decisions in the offseason. And now, even with OG Ananobi out, Julius Randle out, like they have other guys stepping up and playing big roles like a Josh Hart and a Dante DiVincenzo. When you watch this Knicks team, who has the longest win streak right now, knock on wood uh, for me and some of us in this room, yeah, longest win streak in the NBA do you do you see a team that can make some serious noise in the east yeah I think they can and I think the really interesting thing is they might have another move left in them well we'll see if they do something with Evan Fournier's contract and all those uh picks that they're kind of sitting on we we, they they might have another trade and if they do that's going to make them really dangerous but the OG and Anobi trade it it just locked everything in for them. I know it's tough to give up Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett, but those guys, you know, being there or, or Ananobi being there, it's just so huge for them and puts them in a place where now they have a guy who just locks in on, on the wings. And then when Randall is out, and I know Ananobi's out right now too, but when Randall's out, you can slide Ananobi to the floor. And now that makes them really, really tough. I'm watching the Atlanta Hawks give it to the L.A. Lakers right now. And we were saying this before you came on, that the contingency of bloggers and media people that cover the Lakers, they are starting to be completely fed up with Darvin Ham. I know that the whispers were happening early on the season, but now people are saying the quiet part out loud that Darvin Ham just needs to go because his rotations don't make any sense. And the things that worked for them, taking them to the Western Conference Finals, those rotations, he just simply abandons. Even though he goes with them for short periods of time, like what are you hearing about how the Lakers are feeling about the direction of this team and how to fix it? 
haven't heard anything as far as them wanting to go in a different direction. Everything that you hear out of the organization itself is that they believe in him and they think, you know, he's going to get it done and that they're okay with everything he has done for them. But I, it, it is getting louder. I think all it's going to take is a player or two to be, uh, instead of being vague about their criticisms, be a little bit more pointed. And then, you know, especially if it comes from LeBron, then all of a sudden you might see some changes, but like, I, it's the challenge is you don't know how many more years left you have of LeBron and AD playing this well, and they've been relatively healthy this season too. And if you're just going to kind of let it wither away with a 500 team that is hanging out in the playing tournament, it's just not good enough. And they're definitely going to have to go in a different direction at some point. Keith, for the third consecutive season, I've talked myself into betting the Boston Celtics to win the NBA Finals. They're 3-1 to one right now. If anybody out there would like to join me, they're plus 140 to win the East. Just let's focus on the East because I still think it's the Nuggets in the West, maybe one of these young teams. But is it Milwaukee, Philly, New York, Miami once again, Cleveland? You know, I think it's kind of a sleeper team. They're 25-1. to one. Who concerns you the most in a seven-game series that matches up well against Boston, do you think? I think it's still the Bucks. Like they're they're, they're just going to be a challenge, you know, when it comes down to it. And, and the biggest thing I think there is how do you defend both Giannis and Dane? You know, it, it sounds great to have Drew Holiday in the fold, but then you're really relying on in much older Al Horford to give you a bunch of minutes against uh, Giannis. Now the other question is on the other end. How are the Bucks going to defend the Celtics? Because the Bucks defense yeah. is just hasn't been good for a while. So I I feel good about the Celtics' chances. You know, to get through this feels like the best team simply if for no other reason the presence of Chris Saps Porzingis, where he just gives them a very different look. Uh, they, they can attack those switches now in a very different way, and you're no longer throwing it to a guy like Robert Williams, who's it's either a direct dunk at the basket or he's going to hot potato it and pass it. You can now get it to Porzingis, and the biggest thing he learned with his time in Washington is, I only got to get to 10, 12 feet and turn, and there's not a player in the league unless it's Victor Wembanyama. We're not worried about seeing him in the playoffs. Is no one can, can contest my shot. I just got to turn and shoot over him. So that's, I think, the uh, you know big, big thing that makes the Celtics very different this time around. You mentioned the Bucks. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Doc Rivers hire. You know, I, the Adrian Griffin firing has been discussed at nauseum, but the Doc Rivers hire is so, sort of head head scratching to me as someone who used to cover the Boston Celtics day in day out. You know, former coach of the Celtics, Doc Rivers. Like, what do you think he brings to this team? And, like, what do you think the largest limitations for him will be? Yeah, I think, you know, Doc just brings a sense of almost, like, calm to, to the team where it's going to be – there's nothing he hasn't seen at this point. And I think that's, that's a good thing. On the flip side, Doc tends to trust reserves way more than he probably should. Uh, he, play, he loves to play all reserve lineups. That, that was something that – uh, the Celtics fans tired of it at the end. Clippers fans really got upset with it. And uh, Sixers fans did as well. And that always seems to go in a place where he just doesn't get away from it quick enough. So that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think, you know, if, if we're, we're in a big playoff game and there's 10 minutes of all backup lineups, Bucks fans are going to lose their mind. But it, 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 it's tough because – Doc wins. He wins in the regular season. He wins a ton. And and I know there's the whole he's blown all kinds of series leads all over the place. 
But he still gets his teams up in those series. Maybe he just hasn't had the right teams. You know, I, I don't really know what it is, but I, I'm not super enthused by the hire, to, to be honest, because I think it's one of those things where I don't know how much different it's going to be with Doc in there than it would have been with um, – Adrian Griffin. I, I'm just not sure it's going to make that big of a difference. Yeah, that was the joke. I said that they were de- destined for a second-round exit with Adrian Griffin, and now they're de- destined for a second-round exit with Doc Rivers. So, talking to <laughs> Keith Smith, bet MGM tonight. So, Joel Embiid's questionable tonight against the Warriors. He's going to go through pregame warm-ups, decide if he can play. Yesterday was the first time the conversation really started to gain some steam about the 65-game minimum rule to be eligible for awards and all-NBA and all those things. Joel Embiid is having an MVP season nobody's going to argue that but he may not be allowed to be MVP if he misses enough games when it's all said and done if he does play 60 games this year whatever the case is and isn't eligible to win MVP do you think that they'll consider changing that rule in the offseason maybe just dropping it down some games because there's definitely going to be an outcry if that happens yeah it's not as easy to just change it that's Mm going to have to be something they're going to have to go to the union and collectively bargain and and come up with it I think there's a chance they may change it but when I think they may change it is shortly after the TV contract is signed. I think you know part of this whole 65-game rule was to tell the television partners and potentially prospective new television partners, hey, mm-hmm. guys are going to be on the floor more if they want to mm-hmm. win these awards. And we think we're going to see guys out there. And then once those are signed, they may say, you know, hey, we're not going to change it to like 40 games, <laughs> but we may need to look at changing this to 60 games and, and changing it a little bit. And, and I, I kind of get it. I get the idea behind that because – 60 games, that's like three quarters of a season. I think that's okay if that's ultimately where we land out. I also was fine with just let individual voters decide if a guy played or not, played, played enough or not. I think, you know, when you have 100 people voting on these things, you're not going to get 90 people saying, ah, yeah, you know, 30 games is enough. They're going to use common sense on where it's at, and it's going to be interesting. Where it'll also get really interesting is if there's not a really strong second choice for MVP, then people are really going to lose their minds because it's going to be seen as, oh, well, you were the you 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 won the bogus MVP award because player A and B weren't weren't available, so they had to go down to player C, and that's that's where the discourse is going to get really ugly. You mentioned uh, Denver being one of the favorites. Obviously, they're going to be in the West. Uh, Timberwolves beat the OKC Thunder last night in a really good one. They're rumored to be going after Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's actually playing right now against the Lakers. Like, what's your thoughts on that potential move? And and do you think the Timberwolves have the best chance of of beating the Nuggets in the West, or is it a team like the Clippers? Uh, I, I'm gonna, you know, I, I wish I wasn't here again, but here I am. I'm believing in the Clippers because this is what I do every year, right around uh, you know the trade deadline. I'm all in, and then I look like an idiot, you know, two games into the first round. So I'm kind of, yeah, we'll see. I I think the Clippers have a real chance. I think they're going to be very tough out, especially if they're healthy. But obviously, it's only if they're healthy. If not, Minnesota gave Denver some challenges in the first-round series they played a year ago when Denver won the title. And I think their size is just something different that they throw at them, especially in help spots where Jokic has to work that much harder. Now, I think, yeah, they could get a lot guy like Bogdanovich for the bench. I honestly think that is the best possible landing spot for Kyle Lowry if he takes a buyout. Everybody's got him already pegged to Philly, and maybe that's how it goes because that'd be going back home for him. But with the Wolves, 
he comes in and plays 15, 20 minutes a night behind Mike Conley, and now you've stabilized the position because they won last night. Mm-hmm. But generally, when Mike Conley's been off the floor, they get real messy. So that's mm-hmm. the one concern I have for them. But Bogdanovich would be huge because they feel like they're one guy short off their bench. Keith Smith, great to talk to you. Good great stuff. point, too, on the MVP. Watered down if Embiid can't get it. Twitter will absolutely love that. Great to talk to you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, it's Bet MGM tonight. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Special thanks to Keith Smith and the whole gang at BetMGM tonight. Come back on Friday with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which drop unexpectedly. Like the beat in a Skrillex song. Do not forget to follow the Heat Check as we continue down the NBA season and approach the trade deadline. That means download, subscribe, tell your friends. All of them. Even that hairdresser who kept the salon open, even though the heat went off by running a hundred hair dryers all at once on high. What's that sound, Michael? Oh, that's just the heat. (laughs) I think that's a hair dryer. Hey, it's so loud in here, I can't listen to the heat check and Trista. Also, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at this heat check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, and we'll see you next time.